We need to talk about racism. As we recorded this, protests are still going across the country over racism and police brutality toward black people. In polite white society, racism is the elephant in the room that we don't want to talk about. Some people are claiming that racism doesn't exist outside of a few hate crimes, holdovers from the old racist mobs of the early 20th century. Others have been telling us for decades that racism is a pervasive system that's much more far-reaching. Spike Lee made this film, Black Klansman, to connect the dots between the old-school KKK tactics of violence and the new wave of racism that's infiltrated almost every aspect of our lives. While many mainstream films about racism portray it as this far-off bit of history, they got wiped out decades ago, Lee is not afraid to show us how racism is alive and thriving in the modern era. He does this by showing us a turning point in the history of American racism, where racists changed their tactics to operate under the guise of legitimacy and legality. This film hit a little close to home for many white people who have been reluctant to admit that they benefited from a system that was designed for them. And you see that in some of the negative reviews that this film garnered, which we talk about in the episode. For many white people, talking openly about racism is extremely uncomfortable because we intrinsically know that privilege carries an ethical responsibility. It requires change, and many don't want that. But having open conversations about race and racism is the first step in healing, and that's why this film is so important right now, and is why we wanted to do this episode right now. Maria and I talk pretty candidly about systemic racism in America, and that is the main focus of this episode. Being that this is a podcast about movies and mental health, we also spend some time talking about the mental health impact of racism, including prevalence rates of PTSD in Black people versus white people. But the main goal of this episode is for Peculiar Picture Show to join in on the conversation about race and inequality in America. That's something I hope you join us for in this episode of Peculiar Picture Show, the podcast that talks about movies, maladies, and mental health. Welcome to Peculiar Picture Show, the podcast that talks about movies, melodies, and mental health. I am one of your hosts, Maria Malazzo. And I'm your other host. I am Brennan Gregory. So um, today, like, there, there's so much going on with the uh, protests over race and police brutality. We felt like we needed to do something to address that. And so we're covering the 2018 film Black Klansman by Spike Lee. Um, and this was your first time seeing this, correct, Maria? Yes, this was my first time. And so, yeah, I, I saw it in theaters. I loved it in theaters um, because it was just so relevant to what was going on then. And I think so much more relevant um, now. And so I, mm-hmm. I, we were shooting lots of messages back and forth, I think, as we were watching this. But how did yeah. you like it? Wow. <laughs> That's yeah. what I think I messaged you um, <laughs> yeah. after the ending. I was just, wow. I mean, the fact, I mean, so it's not too old. The movie's not too old. 2018. Mm -hmm. It's 2020. And some of the parts in that movie are just so what's happening right now. And I was just, and it was just like, I like, I just was, it's a, it's a good time right now to be visiting films like this, I think. And um, we're supposed to be uncomfortable. Um, Uh (laughs) You know? um, And I think that's like, that's the point, Um, you know, for, However, for a very, very long time, um, this entire time this country has existed, black and indigenous people of color who um, have been, you know, oppressed uh, for so long and so uncomfortable, um, Mm -hmm. we need to be uncomfortable now. That's the only way that 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 
we're going to see any change. And so, um, so I think it was a good idea to, um, to watch and talk about this movie right now. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, even though this is coming out later, we're recording this on Juneteenth, um, which mm-hmm. I actually, like many white people, I'm learning a lot about black history in the last few weeks because I'm so far behind. So I actually didn't know what Juneteenth was until just a few weeks ago. But um, for mm. listeners who don't know, Juneteenth was essentially the celebration of slaves black slaves gaining their freedom in the United States. Now, this was not when the Emancipation Proclamation was signed because it was about Mm -hmm. a year and a half after that that the slaves were actually told that they were free. And so this is not um, a celebration of... um, the Emancipation Proclamation, but it's like a year and a half later, June 19th, 1865, that slaves in Confederate states found out they were free. And this, I mean, for many black people in America, this is as big a holiday as like the 4th of July or sometimes even bigger um, because this is such a big part of black American culture. And I I honestly, I had no idea. Like, I feel bad admitting that, but I didn't know what this was until just a few weeks ago. So it's cool that we're recording this on Juneteenth. Um, and I'm realizing I have a lot to learn about black history. So yeah. I will be reading up on that. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, this this film I, gets into some very interesting conversations. And I actually I think I got into more of those the second time around. I got into kind of a new level of depth with this, which we'll get into. Um, but it's it's interesting because um, Jordan Peele is the one that pitched it to Spike Lee. Um and so Jordan Peele initially um, pitched it to Spike Lee. He said, black man infiltrates Ku Klux Klan. And Spike Lee at first, he's like, well, that would make a nice like Dave Chappelle skit. But I mean, you know, I don't make right. movies about that. And like Peele actually said, no, this is like a real story. And then Spike Lee started getting excited about it. And then this movie came to be. And so it's um, interesting. Like Spike Lee actually was the one who said we need to act weave some comedy into this. Um, and so Spike Lee is the one that made it both a comedy and a drama. And I like, I was initially a little worried about this being a comedy with the subject matter, but I, I think that mix actually worked pretty well. Yeah. Um, so I was a fan of that. Um, but then there were just some parts of this that were so painfully real. Like um, I think the, the first scene that I was like, just amazed at how real it was, was the the scene when they're out in the field shooting and you realize they're shooting targets of escaped slaves. Yeah. Um, it was kind of painful to watch. And even more so when you realize that those were not props, like those were actual things that they bought online. So Spike Lee bought those on eBay. Um, and so there were so many like painfully real parts of this that I like, there were some negative reviews on this. I think from white people that were just expecting a thriller, not realizing that this has so many real roots, you know, in the history mm-hmm. of racism in America. So um, it's, I, I, I was a big fan of this movie. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> yeah. And how appropriate that people give it negative reviews because they weren't expecting something, you know, just a straight thriller, but God, God forbid that we've inconvenienced them with the history of what's, um, <laughs> yeah. what's happened in this country. <laughs> Cause hell has no fury, like a yeah. white person mildly inconvenienced. So, exactly. Yeah, so, that um, is the, um, 
that's 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 yes. the issue. <laughs> White people would like to speak to the manager. So, um, um, so well, I'll get I'll spend some time talking about the negative reviews later on in this podcast. And so I, I think there's something to say about that. But mm-hmm. uh, this I, I think is a very timely film. I think if there are any listeners out here who have not seen this film, you need to watch this film just to um, be aware of some of the conversation going on right now in America, because I think this contributes a lot, like you said, to what's going on. This is just such a lead in to everything we see happening right now. So yeah. Yeah. Brandon, so you love this movie. We've established that. So let's yeah. talk about some of the things that you liked about it. Um, starting out, uh, like the performances, I think were much better than I was expecting the first time I saw those because I was expecting this to be kind of a a comedy. Um, and some of that, like, I mean, Adam Driver and Topher Grace, like both of them were just phenomenal in their roles. Mm-hmm. Um, but others like, I mean, Corey Hawkins as um, Kwame Ture, is that his name? Um, mm-hmm. And even Laura Harrier as Patrice, I think were pretty good. And then, um, of course, there's Jasper Pakkanen as Felix. And I mean, he was just such a hateable character. And it was, I mean, there was almost like a cartoon villainy about him, but he did that so well. Yeah. Um, so I will say initially on my first viewing, I wasn't as big a fan of John David Washington as Ron Stallworth. Um, I, I thought it kind of fell flat compared to some of the other performances. But on a second viewing, I'm realizing this is a really difficult role just because of how many different things he had to cover. Like he had to be serious. He had to also be funny. He had to be cool. He had to be vulnerable. He had to convincingly sound both black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, he had to even be naive at times. And so there, there were so many different parts of this i think it was hard to kind of latch on to one but um it's it was a difficult role and i think he handled it pretty well there was a lot of subtlety in that performance that i didn't really catch the first time around um because the first time around i was just kind of taking it all in but um, Mm -hmm. i mean of course the the thing I like about this the most is the subject matter. This is a, a message film, and I think it does that extremely well. So this, I mean, it traces the history of racism from, you know, the old school lynchings and cross burnings to a system built into our society. Um, and there's a quote from Patrice uh, when she's talking to Ron. She says, you can't change things from the inside. It's a racist system. The white man mm. won't give up his position of power without a struggle. And so that seems to be one of the main struggles <laughs> here is Ron is trying to work within the system. And Patrice yeah. is trying to essentially overthrow the system. And it's interesting because those are two viewpoints. Like we have a moderate viewpoint that's like, no, we just need to fix a few things in the system. And we have an extremist viewpoint that's like, no, we need to overthrow the whole system. That's still a, an ongoing debate um, yes. about racism today. And there are still people falling into both of those camps. And it's interesting. This film gives us um, a character in both of those camps. They have these conversations together. Um, and it doesn't really say that one is right or wrong. It um, kind of just lets them talk amongst themselves. And I think a big part of that is um, like, I, I don't think this film was trying to say that one of those viewpoints was better than the other, because in the end, the racists don't care which of those viewpoints you have. The racists target both of them. And so that yes. 
I think was kind of a powerful message where, mm-hmm. you know, we are not going to make peace with the racists or the racist system, um, no matter what we do here. And so, like, if you look at Spike Lee's past films, he was very much a believer in the kind of extremist overthrow the system type of view. And so this is a much more measured response. Um, but there is that message that even with a measured response, even if we do try to work within existing systems, if we try to essentially make white people happy, racist and racist um, systems are still going to target us. And so that that was something I definitely didn't catch the first time through. But I mean, right now we have protests going on over police brutality and the, you know, the police, uh, you know, are a part of that systemic racism that protects white people, but not black Mm -hmm. people. And so um, I'm sure a lot of our listeners who are listening to this right after it came out know about this, but it might be forgotten or there might be some who don't know about it. But in the past few weeks, there was a black man in Central Park who um, encountered, he was out there bird watching and there was a white woman who was just letting her dog run around and the law required dogs to be on a leash. And so this man reminded the woman, Hey, your dog has to be on a leash. The woman got aggressive. The man didn't feel safe. So he began filming and the woman got more aggressive. You could see her marching toward the man, like as if she's going to take his phone away from him. And then he actually has to say back off. And then she says like, I'm going to call the police. I'm going to call the police and tell them there's a black man threatening me. Um, and she does. And she calls the police. She, you know, there's forced emotion in her voice. And um, she says, there's a black man threatening me. Please send help. There's a black man threatening me because she knew that all it would take is a white person mm-hmm. saying there's a black person threatening me to weaponize the police force against this black man. And so, I mean, I, th- I think a lot of white people are saying like, oh, well, gosh, I didn't know about this system. But I think white people are a lot more aware of this system and their privilege than they let on. They just kind of instinctively know, even though nobody wants to admit it. Um, and so the, the woman knew like just the threat of calling the police was likely enough to get the black man to do what she wanted. And, you know, you can see she's pretty surprised when it doesn't work. And so she, you know, goes through with it. But you think how many times has this woman done this in the past? Because the woman was a vice president at a financial firm. Um, mm-hmm. And so you have to think mm. like, yeah, it's um, people like this who have these racist views. How many of them are in charge of hiring decisions like how many times have they said yeah this person just isn't a good fit culturally for our company or they don't have the right experience we're looking for um, how many decide what goes into textbooks or school reading lists how many decide what goes on tv how many of these people decide what houses get shown to people of different races um when they're sh- house shopping yeah um i mean how many people are deciding what punishment to dole out for a petty crime how many people are deciding how fully to staff voting locations in which neighborhoods um, and I mean, it, to the movie's point, like how many are deciding what laws get passed in our country? And so there, yes. there are so many different ways when you start realizing how blatant racism is, there's so many different ways that comes out and this is a large system. And so, um, I know a lot of white people are saying, Oh gosh, racism is just getting so much worse. And you know, it's, I, I can't believe people are bringing it up and making it worse when, I mean, bringing it up yeah. is making it better. It's not making it worse because right. to quote, it's not going to make it worse yeah, to bring it up. It's, um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Will Smith has a quote. He says, racism isn't getting worse. It's getting filmed. Um, and so like if a white person says, stop, you know, stop bringing this up, you're making things worse. What that means is you're making me uncomfortable because now I have to think about it because we prioritize white comfort. So we prioritize white comfort over black lives. Um, 
it's these videos are surfacing and there's so many white people saying, oh, the system is broken, but the system is not broken. It was intentionally built this way. And white people are not willing to admit that. But I think we're more aware of it than we care to admit. Um, it's like there's a quote early on in this movie. So Ron Stallworth is interviewing for the job basically. And his white manager says, well, I'll have your back, but I can only do so much. The weight of this mm-hmm. is going to be on you and you alone. Mm. And so I, I think every black person in the yes. workplace has heard this um, because they're, you know, they, they might have a white ally in the workplace. It's like, Oh yeah, racism is terrible. I can't believe you have to deal with that, but you have to deal with that. I mean, right. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going that. to. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, I, I think every black person who has worked with white people, which is basically every black person has heard this sentiment. That's something that hits so close to them like i don't like racism but i'm not gonna take any responsibility for it that's your problem to solve um and that's like so many black people are invited to be like the diversity expert or give talks on diversity um but like this is it's not a problem they ask for it's not you know it's it's something that is going to take Like, I'm not saying like white people need to jump in and show them how it's done, but it is going to take white people jumping in and supporting the people who are doing this and fixing the problem. So that I think was a major thing this film laid out. And that's what I really liked about it was the message. So what about you? What did you like? Yeah, I mean, I like I like that message, too. Um, There's a lot of things in the film that resonated with me um, in terms of what's going on now. And I think a lot of what you were saying, um, a lot of people will say that that lady who called the cops and said there's mm-hmm. a black guy, you know, she's making these decisions, these hiring decisions. And a lot of people, I think, like, I bet you that lady would not say that she's racist. Like, she would not say I'm racist oh, she put out I, a and that I don't like, she didn't I don't know. like black yeah. people. And that doesn't mm-hmm. mean that because she says that she's not racist. Like, that's what yeah. I think. Like, it's that whole... I have a black friend, so I can't be racist kind of argument, you know? It's like I have Um, one black song on my playlist, so yeah. You know, you can still have racist thoughts and beliefs and participate in systemic racism without overtly thinking that you're a racist and like i'm you know that still doesn't make you not a racist so Mm -hmm. um and so um some so the things in the film like one of the things that's kind of similar to that what really i think one of the more poignant moments in the film where I felt very connected to what's going on today was when they were mentioning David Duke becoming a politician Uh so that one day, you know, he can infiltrate the government and, you know, um, uh, Ron says, you know, do you, I think it's Ron. Yeah. He says, you really think people will elect someone like that? And it's like, that's who we have in office right now. Right. <laughs> like, I mean, no one is going to get up in government and says, yes, I support the KKK and I hate black people. You know, they're not right. going to say that even back in the 1920s when the KKK, which I'm going to get into in, in another section about Colorado and the KKK, even then they didn't come out and say, yeah, I support the KKK. You know, no one's going to come out and say that. That doesn't mean that they're not, you know, doing that. And so um, it's just really scary because it's like, you know, this, this movie takes place in 1972. And I think, I think a lot of it, uh, a lot of in the movie, at first, I thought it was going to be another racism solved ending. <laughs> um, oh, it sets it up. Yeah. yeah. But then because it, it like, the pulls end, you know, they catch the racist. Yeah. yeah. Like they're catching the racist patrolman 
and yeah. getting like, you know, and I was like, oh, God, nah, that would not happen. Come on. Yeah. They're not just going to, you know, and I, I started to get a little upset, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> but then. But then that ending. Oh, my God. But then the ending yeah. where so the ending Spike Lee spends, I don't know, a few minutes um, um, showing us um, showing us scenes from present day or mm-hmm. back including back then, the real basically. David Duke. Including the real David yes. Duke, and who is very much—I mean—he still comes out and like he says he supports Trump, and like I just can't even if, like the the like former head of the KKA comes out and says that they support you as a politician. Mm-hmm. That the first thing that I would be, do is be like the KKK is disgusting and fuck you, but you know right. Trump has still never come. out. Like, it's just ridiculous. Like that whole thing that happened, and he got elected. That was during when he got elected. Yeah. That people elected him, <laughs> like a man that. Anyway, um, so, um, but be- and then we see, you know, the horrific Charlottesville protests that were going on, which they were. If yeah. you guys don't remember, they were protesting the removal of a Robert E. Lee statue that was there, um, and Heather Heyer, who was an anti-fascist pro- protester, was killed because of a piece of shit. But I think that that was. Um, that was really powerful for me. And I think mm-hmm. it was because because of that, because I think, you know, at first I was tricked and then and then we had that and how it's very much it's still real. You know, this was back in 1972 and, um, you know, Ron's trying to fix things from the inside kind of thing. And, and I gave him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, but I am firmly in the camp that. I don't think it's enough anymore and yeah. we have to dismantle it now because we've been there's trying for, we've been trying what, to do years. this from yeah. the inside for as long as we as, and and when is enough enough you know when is yeah. it when do our um kneeling at the um you know the national anthem when is that how how long do we have to do that until before people notice because no one's been noticing <laughs> mm-hmm. you know before we finally you know um, have to find another way to make it happen. And that's by making white people uncomfortable um, yeah. in my mind, because if you're comfortable, they're not going to do anything. But if you make them uncomfortable, then maybe some of us will do things enough so that we're not uncomfortable anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. But I loved it. I loved the movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's um there was uh, I wanted to get into the the racist system just a bit um in this section. I forgot to do this earlier, but mm-hmm. the way it was initially explained to me was uh, like I saw a guy giving a talk and he drew a little matrix, a little chart and you know on one level was active and passive and one level was racist and anti-racist. And so you could be an active racist where you're actively hating people, you're doing the hate crimes, you're doing all that stuff. You could be a passive racist where you're just sitting back and benefiting from this system that benefits you by default. Mm-hmm. You can be an active anti-racist where you're getting out there and combating racism and trying to tear it down. But there is no way to be a passive anti-racist because right. if you sit back passively and do nothing, the system is built to support white people, to continue mm-hmm. the dominance of white people. And so if you sit back and do nothing, that is by default a racist decision. And that is, I think, something so many white people have to come to grips with. And it makes them uncomfortable because to them, racism is this far off concept that, you know, people who commit hate crimes do. And uh, that nobody, no white person wants to admit, like, I benefit from racism. Mm-hmm. Um, and on some level, I know that and I like it. And that's that's so hard for white people to to admit and um this this film 
I, I think was remarkably restrained in that yes. it, it didn't it didn't like <laughs> I did considering think so the too. reality mm-hmm. of everything that was going on like yes this is remarkably restrained um but that is kind of a a point that needs to be made in this conversation so I wanted to make sure that was stated outright yeah yeah no that's a that's a good point and I and like what you like you said and I think people maybe don't. I don't realize that the way the system has been built is to benefit white people. They mm-hmm. make laws and policies so that black people can't vote and they can't, you know, the, it's all about that, the way they draw the lines and they don't come out and say it. It's not, you mm-hmm. know, the law isn't, this is to benefit white people and we hate black people. And I think that's people get hung up because it's, no, what are you talking about? It's this law and it has nowhere, isn't it about racism, but the, it that's what it does. And that was the intent of it. And a lot of the times I think a lot of people, I think, a, I think a big portion of this also is that, you know, this whole false idea of the American dream and that we are the best country in the world and the nationalism, it's nationalism, you know, Uh it's it's nationalism and it's toxic. Um, If you think something is the greatest thing in the world, then how can you ever expect to get better? And if, and and it might be great for white people, this country is great. And it's not even good for all white people, but for the, you know, it, like you can't say, well, at least you you well, you could be living in this country. It would be a lot worse. No, this country is kills black people. This country murders yeah. black people. The average lifespan for mm-hmm. a trans woman person of color is thirty five. That is disgusting. Yeah. And if you're not outraged by that enough to go protest in the street for that, then what is wrong with you? Why is that mm-hmm. okay for you that you can't get off? you know, and do something about that and try to support that. That's what's weird about this is that people are prioritizing the the wrong things here. Like, how dare you destroy that property? You should say, how dare you killing? How dare you killing black people for no reason? There's oh, gosh, there's so much to I say on so, that. I know I get yeah. like, so I don't know what yeah. to say, because there's so yeah. much I really don't know what to focus on. And it blows my mind that there are people who can't understand that, yeah. that they can't understand this, that just because people don't say, you know, outwardly say bad things about black people doesn't mean that they can't be doing racist things. They can't be upholding racist systems. Um, I don't know how hard it is for people. It's very hard. And people get very um, offended when you say white privilege. I don't know why that's so offensive. We're not. Well, it's, it, I mean, we have this concept of the American dream where right. if you just work hard enough, you if you're a good ahead. enough person, yep. you can get ahead. And everybody wants to believe that everything they've gotten was through their hard work, their through own them hard being work. such a mm-hmm. great person. And everybody I know who has things, every white person I know who has things, they deserve it. And yeah, they yeah. believe that they deserve it. And so when you come along and say, there are some people who have worked just as hard who have not reaped the rewards. Like must it's, be that they're bad. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's um, they they just cannot deal with the fact that there is they they had gotten help. Yeah, yeah, and you know, oh well, maybe the, the just just now we had the the cops who murdered the um the black man in Atlanta who was sleeping in his car in the um mm-hmm. in the drive through, and you know, a lot of people say, well, he shouldn't have been drinking and driving. He shouldn't have been doing this. No one saw him drink and drive. Number one, if that was a white guy. I uh-huh. uh, probably I mean, and I don't know, because I don't know what would have happened, but I can totally see in that situation 
where it's like, hey, you know, if I'm concerned about you and your well-being and you're drunk and you can't even stay awake, maybe we should call someone to come get you. Like, why couldn't you have done that? Call Uber. Why didn't you fucking do that? Instead, you chose to to you didn't even see him drive. Yeah, he had to get into the to the drive through somehow, but you still wouldn't you could still who knows how he drove, you know, and you yeah. even see in the video and then he runs away and you shoot him in the back and like right. he's running away. He can't harm you if he's running away. And mm-hmm. yes, maybe if he was drunk driving maybe you should be arrested for drunk driving whatever that doesn't mean that you should be shot and killed and it yeah. certainly doesn't mean that the that police officer officers can't go through the due process of finding someone guilty and they just kill him and they're now they're the executioner and everything like it just doesn't make right. any sense i mean um, like even if yeah. he was drunk driving in what state does drunk driving carry the death penalty you know yeah. um it's yeah, it's um, and then like we have um, George W. Bush and Dick Cheney both had DUIs. And so we had two mm-hmm. elected officials with oh, DUIs in the White House. Yeah. There are so yes. many. Um, and so, so this is another thing where it's it's a different crime for white people than it is for black people. Yeah. Uh, because we have two criminal justice systems, one for white people, one for everyone else. Right, so now that we talked about um, some things that we liked about the movie, and then we got some things that um, we hate about um, <laughs> white, white supremacy. Yeah. yeah. Um, what did you dislike about the movie? <laughs> uh, um, this is one like I actually wanted to get into what some other people, what some criticisms of this film are. Um, and like, I mean, were this film about anything else? Were it not about racism? Were it about something else? I probably would have something to say about the the over the top villains, particularly Felix, or it's just like cartoonishly mm-hmm. evil. Like you, you don't want to think people are like that. But I mean, I don't think we need to spend any more time humanizing racists. I mean, making racists sound like normal people is basically the American pastime. Yeah, um, and so <laughs> it's like there's so much of that going on in society. Like I think we need portrayals like this because I think we need people that are coming out and saying, you know what, races are awful people. Um, and so the point of the film was not to spend time like humanizing these characters. It was just to show the evil acts for what they are. Because we hear these stories about horrible people doing horrible things, but we don't really connect those to the real people standing behind the acts. And that's what this film did is it gave us the, you know, a clear picture of some of the bad things that people were doing and then pointed to the real people in the real world today who are doing those things. And a lot of white people were very uncomfortable with that. So I actually wanted to get into some of the negative reviews. I went on IMDb and uh, started going through the reviews and um, there were a number of white people who were mm. very upset with this movie. So I wanted to oh, yeah. <laughs> kind of talk about that. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to read some quotes from some of the IMDb reviews and every single one of these quotes said, I'm not a racist but But. and so they had to they had to specify i'm not a racist and then talked about how they didn't like the anti-racism message um and so 
So one one user said it's incredibly one sided and dry. <laughs> Another one said everything's so in your face. There's no interpretation left to the viewer. No hidden message or symbolism. Like we need hidden messages about racism. <laughs> um, the dialogue just straight up tells the audience what's going on. No sense of mystery, suspense, or viewer involvement. Um, another user said the issue isn't as simple as white supremacists are bad and still present, which is pretty much all those scenes say. It is not just one sided. There are white supremacists and there is Antifa. They are opposite sort sides of the same coin um there was another <laughs> yeah Sorry. and so like th- that's the thing is like every argument i'm seeing from the far rights that's trying to defend these things is one of false equivalence mm-hmm. and so they're yep. saying well you know these people are doing this too so therefore it's all right that we do this and so i mean first of all like anti-antifa like if only yeah. there were an easier way of saying anti-anti-fascist you know like Right. Um, it's called so, white supremacy. <laughs> it's called fascism. Yes. It's so, called fascism. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a double negative. So um there there was one more use I wanted to get into this. Um he says, I'm not objecting to the actual footage included in the end of this film, only that it displays an obvious clear bias that one party is racist and violent, and that this film only encourages the continuation of hate amongst races on either the color of one's skin or the choice of one's religious faith. And so <laughs> Yeah, there's so many people that are trying to like both sides this movie. Like, oh, don't you see that That, everybody is equally bad? That's what our president did when it happened and said, you know, there's good people on both sides. (laughs) So people follow suit. People follow him like nothing else. And, you know, he doesn't wear a mask. And so now no one, you know, and that this COVID stuff. So anyway, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Ridiculous. It's, oh gosh. Like I saw somebody on Twitter said, yeah, gymnastics is great, but have you ever seen a racist bend over backwards to defend someone? Like, it's just like so (laughs) much like political maneuvering and just like, just bending logic to try to suit this. And so, I mean, there, there are a ton of these, like I'm really only reading just a few of these. Um, almost every negative review on IMDb did not like the politics of the movie. Now there, there were a few people that didn't like some of the historical events. Um, uh, for instance, the explosion at the end, the bomb threat completely fabricated. Right. That was not. Yeah. Real. Not real. But everyone who commented on these also commented that they didn't like the politics of the movie. And then they had to say, oh, by the way, I'm not racist. And so like <laughs> I, racism was a big part of, you know, people not liking this movie. And so I, I think white people are so used to the media catering to them and their feelings that if racism is ever openly addressed, they feel personally attacked. Yeah. Um, there was a post I saw on Twitter and I, I can't remember who posted this. I feel bad about that, but they said racism is so ingrained into American culture that when somebody sees someone protesting racism, they think they're protesting America. Yeah. Um, that's, I think that's, that's pretty (laughs) much how we got here. And and it's just like, you know, black lives matter. When, if your first instinct is to say all lives matter, it's not that all lives don't matter. Black lives, black lives, saying black lives matter doesn't mean only black lives matter. Right. Right. Um, But at the same time, it is, um, it is that response that we're angry with. It's not that all yeah. lives don't matter. It's that you feel the need to respond to that when we're trying to to help people of color right now. And, and because we have to, because that's the, the only voice that people of color are going to have are through white people. I'm sorry. That's the way it is. So we have to do this. Yeah. And um, your response, you saying, well, all lives matter when we try to lift up people who are actively being suppressed right now is like a sh- the shittiest Worst thing that you could response could say. So yeah, yeah, 
Because, I mean, like, saying Black Lives Matter is a response to actions that say that Black Lives don't matter. It is a response. Yes. It's not a statement. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, this film, I like, I'm not going to say this is a perfect film, um, but it is necessary, especially right now. And so now there, there is a counterpoint to this. And I think you were going to get into this too, but Boots Riley, mm-hmm. uh, Boots Riley is an activist yeah. and filmmaker and we covered his film. Sorry to bother mm-hmm. you. It came out the same year as Black Klansman. So Boots Riley criticized this film for being too sympathetic toward police. Now he yeah. argued that police are an integral part of systemic racism. So portraying them as a hero in the film about systemic racism racism was problematic. And so, you know, to Riley's point, yes, I think this film did hold back and I think it kind of needed to, to reach as many people as it did. And so right. was that right? I can't say, but for white, all the white people complain about this, like I said, this is remarkably restrained. Um, but, mm-hmm. and like I got into this a bit earlier, I think it does this for a reason. There are the two viewpoints. There's the moderate view and the extremist view. And in the end, racism targets both of them equally. And mm-hmm. so, even though yeah. this seems to present that moderate view as a reasonable point of view, it like under underneath that there is a statement that this moderate view is not accomplishing anything, and you know yep. there there just isn't a way to make that work. It doesn't come out and say it, but that that's what the film is implying, and I think that itself is a, a pretty powerful statement. Um, and that is kind of the trap that black people are faced with today. If they push for revolution, people just automatically reject that proposal. But if they work within the system, racism still targets them. And so, mm-hmm. like, there there are, you know, probably some negative things to say about this. But I think this film is what it needed to be for America right now. So yeah. that's why I have to say on that. So what about you? Yeah. And um, and so, like you said, one of the things that, you know, I I read Boots Riley's tweet, I think it was like a tweet of like a criticism of the movie. Um, and, um, and one of the other things that he said was that it, the movie felt like an extension of the NYPD ad campaign, especially since Spike Lee was paid $200,000 to help oh. improve net NYPD relationships oh, okay. uh, with minority communities. So I think like he really took umbrage with that in that, because of that, it seems like it's not damning enough for the for the police. Uh-huh. And so I um I I also I tend to like, yeah, I thought it could have went a lot a lot further. I do think, um, like I said, I still like I like the ending and I like um I like that you think it's gonna be a racism solved kind of thing and then it's not and it really hits home. Um but um, but the movie does still try to, you know, like you say, kind of um, kind of take that moderate viewpoint um, that mm-hmm. um, that right now I just is not really working for me <laughs> um, yeah. be- because of what's going on right now. You know, like trying to change something from the inside is a great concept, but it hasn't worked and it's, it's yeah. not going to work. It hasn't worked already. It's not going to fucking work. Like not all cops are bad, but all cops are bad. So what I mean by yeah. that is like, it's, it's, you know, you think you're a good person. You're like, okay, I'm going to change it from the inside. Once you, if you like, yeah, but you're not going to be able to change it. So continuing to work and stand by the system of oppression means that you are just hurting it. And so, um, and so, you can't really be you can't really be that much good if you're in the inside right now. It's not working. So we have to figure mm-hmm. out another way. And so I think that's what that all cops are bad thing is trying to kind of say. Um in terms of like 
thing specifically with the movie, like filming techniques. Um, yeah, like I'm not going to really go into a lot of about that. The, uh-huh. only, the only time in the movie where I kind of got a little bit like I was like, come on, like this is taking me away from the movie because it just seems like an outrageous idea. I can't believe people are thinking this because I don't think this really happened in real life. I think this was part of a fabrication in the movie. And it's that decision to make Ron protect David Duke when he visits Colorado Springs. I'm like, seriously, you're having the guy who has having the conversations with David Duke, who's black, protect the KKK guy. He's going to realize like there's so many different levels on that that like pissed me off of like that, like just seemed like a way of like, getting him in there and and moving the story along rather than like a real thing that would ever happen because that's fucking (laughs) dumb like come on you can't even be you can't be that that's no and that didn't that didn't happen anyway so it definitely was there i think a way to get them to interact you know face to face because how else would they have interacted face to face and it just took me out a little bit because of that but you know other than that i don't really have anything else to say about disliking the film (laughs) So let's get into our mental health segment of our wonderful program. Um, Brandon, what do you have for this for this part where we talk about um, how the movie deals with um, mental health? Anything mental health? Um, <laughs> well, it's uh, some of you may be wondering. This is a podcast on mental health. Why are we spending basically the entire episode talking about racism? And we've said stuff like this before: is being a victim of racism can cause mental health issues. And we've said this before, but I actually found some data to back that up. So um, most of this is from an article from Psychology Today magazine. Um, I am going to link the article on our website. But um, basically, I mean, there, there is some evidence experiencing racism can cause mental health issues. So racial trauma is like a real studied phenomenon, and it can have similar events to other types of trauma, like trauma from childhood abuse and assault. Uh, people of color have higher rates of PTSD than white people. So black people in particular have a 9.1% prevalence rate of PTSD compared to like 6.8% in whites. So that's 33% higher for black people than to white people. And so, mm-hmm. and the, the numbers may actually be higher than that because a lot of the people diagnosing mental health issues don't look for racial trauma because they don't consider that like a real thing. That's not <laughs> considered a real trauma by many mental health professionals, unfortunately. And there's there's research linking racism to a host of other problems, including, I mean, serious psychological distress, physical health problems, depression, anxiety, binge drinking, and even eating disorders. So all these things, like when you think about like, if you have to deal with racism every day, every time you go out of the house, that is like really like going to grate on you, especially over a lifetime, if you never know anything else. And I think that's impossible for white people to understand mm-hmm. because I mean, there's, there's one pervasive and under-discussed aspect of racism that is microaggressions. And so white people tend to think of racism as, oh, there's a white person driving around and he's shot a black person because he just hates black people. Not right. realizing that there are so many small things that black people have to deal with. Like there's a white person that cuts in front of a black person at Starbucks. There's a white person that says, well, I've always felt welcome at work. If you don't, you must not be a good fit for our culture here. 
Mm-hmm. There's a white person that loves popular movies, but claims that any appeal to um, black people or even a portrayal of black people is political propaganda. Like, why would they try to push mm-hmm. that agenda on me? White people that claim to vote based on issues, but any claim that a black person is taking their race into consideration is deemed as identity politics. Um, there's a white person that jokes about a racial stereotype. And when called out, they claim that people are too sensitive today. And black people, they just have to deal with these things like a hundred times every day. And so yeah. if you ever see a black person lose their temper with a white person, you could bet there are like a hundred other white people who have like just done these microaggressive things to them. And microaggressions are something every black person knows. And it's hard to talk about because any one of these individually is not a big deal. But when you experience dozens or even hundreds of these every day, you get the message. And that message is this world is not for you. Right. This country is not for you. And I mean, white people claiming these things are not a big deal. That is a form of gaslighting. And the intent is the mm-hmm. same is to persuade black people into believing that the problem is with them and not with the oppressors, not with the abusers. And so, I mean, white people can look at dramatically racist events like hate crimes and understand them, but the constant microaggressions and the failure to acknowledge them can also be extremely traumatizing, but much harder for white people to understand. And so, microaggressions are a constant reminder. This world is not for you. This world is for us. And bad things will happen if you don't comply. And so that is the big reason why we wanted to talk about racism. I mean, aside from it mm-hmm. just being the right thing to do right now, um, racism is the the thing to talk about. But the racism can cause mental health issues. And so I think that's a really under-discussed part of racism. So that's what I wanted to get into here. So what, what did you have to say? Um, I had a couple of things. Um, so this movie takes place in Colorado and I am lives in, I live in Colorado now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I almost said I am a Coloradan and it felt weird because I just lived so long in Florida, but anyway, uh, um, I've been here. <laughs> yeah. So I got a little tripped up. Um, so there's something going on right now, um, in Colorado. I mean, there's a, everything's going on everywhere. Right. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but because of, um, so there's something here. There's a town or a neighborhood called Stapleton, and it was named after um, a Denver mayor in the 1920s uh, who's part of the KKK. And people are um, finally going to have this name of the uh, neighborhood changed. And so I wanted to just give a little kind of background and like the KKK in Colorado and how it very much was a part of the government (laughs) and the police force. Um, And um, so um, so a lot of what's going on is eliminating, you know, statues and other items that like honor and glorify people who like maybe fought in the confederate um during the civil war um for the confederates um or to glorify people who were part of the government um but maybe they also had ties like to this one like the cake like the kkk and so um and so First of all, it just reminded me when I was talking about um, the Civil War. Um, yes, it was fought over slavery. Do not believe um, what your <laughs> um, what your teachers told you in the past and how they have tried to whitewash it and said it was a mix of all kinds of things and slavery was like not even a part of it. It very much was a big part of it. So any kind of um, 
glorification of people who fought for the Confederates during that is very shitty, um, a shitty thing to do. And so that's why we're trying to get these these statues away. I mean, why would you, why are you mm-hmm. going to glorify Robert E. Lee? Like, come on, like, that's ridiculous, but whatever. Well, yeah, um, <laughs> also, just, sorry to butt in here, yeah. but I think a thing a lot of people don't understand is that these monuments were not built during the Civil War. Most of these monuments right. and like over 95% of these monuments were built either in the 19 teens or the 1960s, which is when civil, civil rights, rights mm-hmm. discussions were going on. Yeah. And so these statues were built to intimidate. They are part of that gaslighting where people say, oh, it's just history when they were built very intentionally to remind black people, this country is not for you. Yeah. Sorry. 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 No, it's okay. And you know, you know, when I mentioned earlier about um, the Charlottesville and Robert E. Lee statue, that park used to be called Emancipation Park. And there was this Hmm. statue of Robert E. Lee. They changed the name, but um, they still haven't taken the statue down, I think I read, which is fucked up. Um, Anyway, so (laughs) so Benjamin Stapleton was um, the mayor of Denver um, for two different periods in time in the 1920s and 1930s. Um, And he was also the state auditor. In between that time, if you don't know what a state auditor do, do, you don't know what they do. Um, They like audit and control state funds. So it's probably important that you have someone not associated with a hate group for that job. (laughs) Um, But he was also a member of the KKK. Um, He was handpicked by the Klan to be mayor of Denver. Um, (laughs) Kind of like in the movie where David Duke is seeking political office to infiltrate politics. Uh Um, He denied his involvement when he was, you know, trying to be the mayor. Like I said, even back in the 1920s, they still, you know, they're going to deny it. You're not going to say, yeah, I'm the KKK. Um, But then he got, he did that to get elected. And then he went ahead and he appointed um, fellow Klansmen and many positions of the Denver government, including chief of police. So the police department in effect during that time became a Klan organization. Um, And so that there is just one of many examples of things that have happened all over the United States, especially mm-hmm. in the South, where we're talking about Denver's West, um, and how um, how si- these systems of oppression and these hate groups are infiltrating to try to, they're trying to change things from inside. Guess what? They're succeeding. We're not succeeding from the inside. Mm-hmm. But um, but in 1924, people were upset when they realized, I think, um, that he had ties to the KKK. And they actually succeeded in getting a recall election done. Um, hmm. This um, horrendously backfired because then the Klan <laughs> contributed more than $15,000. Back then was a lot of money. And many election mm-hmm. workers to try to ensure that Staple- Stapleton was still mayor. Um, he even addressed the Klan on um, there's a mountain over here called South Table Mountain. Um, and he said... I have little to say except that I will work with the Klan and for the Klan in the coming election, heart and soul. And if I am reelected, I shall give the Klan the kind of administration it wants. Oh, and gosh. he was elected overwhelmingly. Um, <laughs> so this kind of thing happens. Most likely, there are still people that this is happening still now. I just, like this mm-hmm. isn't just like a nineteen twenty. You know, this is still this is still going on. Um, so he won the election, and then um, and I I'm not gonna I I don't. He, so one of the things is that he um, the Denver Municipal Airport um mm-hmm. happened when he um. When he was in office and um, in nine in when after people thought it was a waste, it was a big waste of time. And then after um, 
1944, they renamed it Stapleton International Airport. Now, it no longer exists, but the neighbor, neighborhood that's in this place has become this neighborhood called Stapleton. There's a Stapleton mm-hmm. Street. And so they actually, so in 2019, in August 2019, last year, residents voted against changing the name. They just voted overwhelmingly to change it now after all this okay. shit that's gone on. Yeah. So, so yeah, I feel like, I don't know... <sighs> I'm, I think Florida, like coming from a place in the South and coming to here in Denver, I'm not saying that Denver's not, you know, not overwhelmingly white. It is. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I'm not saying that. Um, but I think that we are a little bit more progressive. Um, we are a little bit more liberal here in Denver um, than, than we are in Florida. Um, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah. But it still doesn't mean that we're not like, you know, it's still like there's still very much a big, um, big presence. I think even recent, like I think even like two years ago, the somebody was murdered like the pol- in the police because it was like the KKK or something. I don't I don't huh. know. So um, so it's still happening. That's a little bit of background. That was in the 1920s. This movie takes place in the 1970s. Um, but there was a time where Denver was essentially run by the KKK. So yeah. <laughs> and the police. Um, and I think Stapleton like fell out of favor because he ordered some raids that exposed like a bunch of people in the police department that were the KKK oh. members. And so they kind of disowned him. Um, <laughs> and so that's what happened to him. I don't want to yeah. like glorify him. I don't want to talk about him that much, although I just talked about him so much. But yeah, um, so I guess good for us that we're starting to change these names. I, um, I'm all for changing names. I don't know why we have to, you know stick to this thing just because of history and blah 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 just bullshit bullshit like i don't know like i i can you imagine if there was a town called hitler (laughs) yeah hitler avenue nobody yeah yeah, like it's just it's i can't even imagine so um so so a little bit of that for that history and then i also kind of wanted to talk maybe a little bit about um like police professionals and the toxic masculinity that I think pervades it. And I don't want to say that, you know, all of this would be solved by mental health measures and that it's because people who work for the police or who police officers are mentally ill and therefore they're killing them. I'm not saying that. I just, what I, what I wanted, what made, what struck me, I think was that the Police organization. There's a, there's a lot of men. It's a, it's a lot of male dominated. It's it's about aggression. And from the beginning, in this country, a lot of men are taught not to have emotions. They can't be weak. They can't do this. You know. And it ends up turning into this toxic masculinity of aggression. Um, and being outwardly aggressive as a man is seen as a positive trait. And mm-hmm. um, and a lot of police officers are men. And so it's just no coincidence when a lot of the aggression is mostly about this toxic masculinity, I think, that we see. And something that struck me the other day um, is my one of my ex-boyfriends. Um, his father is um, what used to be the police chief. Um, somewhere, I guess I won't. I don't know. I, uh, I don't know if I should say <laughs> say exactly but um some of the thoughts that he had on growing up um you know being very immersed into police culture because that's the nature i mean his dad was the police chief and how 
systemic racism is so pervasive when his dad didn't even know it per se, or maybe uh-huh. didn't even wasn't really aware of it, I guess, or maybe he was, I don't know. But one of the points he made was the, uh, the aggression um, that a lot of the police officers show and how it's, not not a coincidence that his dad used to beat him when he was younger. And I, I think that if you find a lot um, that a lot of, um, a, I mean, and I, I hate to say this without backing up with statistics, but I know I like read something the other day about the percentage of um, police officers who, um, who, who participate like in domestic abuse. Domestic versus, abuse. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I don't higher. think it's a coincidence. I don't think it's a coincidence that um, that his father was part of the police force and also beat him. Like, I think it's there's a connection there, you know, mm-hmm. and it's something that I think we need to address um, as well about this toxic masculinity and how this harms so many people. And it's just such no one ever. I feel like it's never, ever like the, like when there's a shooting, you know, like when there's some kind yeah. of mass shooting or something. And they're like, gosh, we just don't know. We can't make the connection. How about they're all men? Like, why isn't anyone say that this is all fucking men? All, almost all of them are men. Yeah. Why can't we say that? I'm not saying men are. And this is it, it comes with that whole territory <laughs> is like you can't, you know, when you say that, then people get really they feel like they're being attacked. Like, well, and they not get defensive. All it's not yeah. all men, <laughs> right? It's not all men. Um, that's not, you know, we until we can address it, just like we can address yeah. like there is racism, then it's not going to get any better. Why can't we just fucking address it and start trying to fix it somehow? And I don't I don't know how to fix it, except that um, I think it has a lot to do with men are taught from an early age. I don't know, Brandon, do you think that you were taught not to have emotions and to be tough? Do you, do you feel that way? Yes. Um, and I mean, part, I mean, some, some of that came from my dad, but honestly, most of it came from my peers. Um, yeah. it's I, like my parents got divorced when I was like 15. And for me, that was a big blow. And so I was sad about it for like, a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at first, like first day I go to school, I tell my friends and they're like, Oh, that's awful. You know, what, what do you need? But day three, one of these same friends actually tells me like, you know, it's been three days. You really need to get over this and move on with your life. Um, and so like, <laughs> at, at, like at that point, <laughs> like, he was just like, okay, you know what? You've crossed the limit, no more emotion for you. Um, and so like, there was just so much, toxic masculinity i think in my peer group and i like that's why i think modern feminism is it gives me the language to talk about this i had no idea what to call that i knew i didn't like it Mm -hmm. um but and then like i was also i was in a like kind of fundamentalist church and then there was this kind of weird synergy between toxic masculinity and fundamental christianity and then it was not good so Mm -hmm. yeah so anyway that's that's my experience with toxic masculinity but yeah yeah, it just seems like such a like horrible plague on our society that was never ever going to be addressed. Like, and I just I get it gets me time and time again. And I'm not, and and I hate that I have to say this because I feel like I have mm-hmm. to say this every time. I'm not saying women don't do bad things. You know, I'm not saying that. Right. I'm not saying that there aren't women police officers. There are plenty of women in police officers. I'm not saying that they don't kill black people too because I'm sure they do. But like, you know, like. <laughs> I'm I don't know, but sometimes I get so tired when I try to talk about this and I have to be so careful because I don't want to offend any like men that I'm talking to. Yeah. So like it like is so annoying. But 
It's, yeah. I mean, like we see this when, you know, people are talking about aggression with men. We see it when people are talking about white privilege, uh, because the thing is like, it, you know, if you say, if you say, I don't like racists, like an anti-racist is going to say, yeah, but a racist is going to say define racist. Um, or, you know, mm -hmm. not, not all people do that, you know? And so yeah. like there, there needs to be some uh, like expectation and understanding that, you know, if you are a member of a group that oppresses others, even if you are not, you know, personally oppressing others, you need to take some responsibility for fixing that problem. Yeah. And so like simply coming back and saying like, oh no, well, you know, not all men or, you know, not all white people like that does nothing to solve the problem. Basically, it's just you saying, I will take no responsibility yeah. for this issue. Exactly. I'm not going to so, do anything. So I'm just going to sit and then, then we get into that. Then you're a passive racist. Oh, there you right. Go. Here we go. <laughs> Yeah, we've talked a lot about racism and mental health uh, this episode, but I, you know, I, I hope you're ready for more of that because we are not going to stop talking about yep. this. And so we are going to pick our next movie based on that, too. So, Maria, you want to tell us what we're covering next? Yeah. So we are going to um, cover Get Out. Um, it is a 2017 movie who actually uh, directors Jordan Peele. So it's kind of connected to Black Klansmen because you said yep. Jordan Peele also was involved. He was, with the, Black he was the producer, I think. Oh, so, OK. So yeah. so there you go. So um, so I am going to read the synopsis. You have never seen this film, right? I've never Brandon? seen it. I have seen it. Um, so we're reversing the roles because I didn't see Black Klansmen before. So I am going to read the synopsis now. Now that Chris and his girlfriend Rose have reached the meet the parents milestone of dating, she invites him for a weekend getaway upstate to meet them. At first, Chris reads the family's overly accommodating behavior as nervous attempts to deal with their daughter's interracial relationship. But as the weekend progresses, a series of increasingly disturbing discoveries lead him to a truth that he never could have imagined. <laughs> that's, that's a mystery theme. That's the mystery no, we're going to play that anytime there's a mystery. Yeah, so. It's a mystery. If you haven't seen <laughs> If you haven't seen this movie, go out and watch it before the episode because there's going to be spoilers. There's no way we can talk about it without spoilers. I won't tell you what those spoilers are, um, but it is a um, a lot um, uh, uh, funnier, lighter film maybe than Black Klansmen, um, but right. still one nonetheless that I think makes pretty strong statements about what's yeah. going on right now. So that is what we're going to watch Um Next, now that we've said that, an and then another thing that we um, that we want to encourage during this time is to get out there and um, read and watch as many things as you can by people of color. And so, um, in our show notes, in our little notes for this, and on our website for this episode, we're going to provide you with some resources um, so that you can maybe um, start reading them if you need to. I think one of the things during this time that I'm hearing a lot of people is to we want to we want to try not to emotionally exhaust our um, our friends of color because 
they have had to, like in the movie, have the burden of this on them for a while. It is not their responsibility or job to teach us how to not be racist. Um, yes, that <laughs> is a so, very good point. Yeah. So, um, so I'm trying, you know, trying not to say, well, just tell me how not to be racist and it's your job to school me. That's something we don't want to be doing. So I think maybe providing some resources um, that we can find and we can try to take some of that emotional burden off of um, off of the others. So now that I've said that, um, Brandon, would you like to take us away? <laughs> take us away. All right. So first of all, thanks for listening. We are Peculiar Picture Show, a podcast that talks about movies, maladies, and mental health. You can visit us online at peculiarpicture.show. And so Maria mentioned the resources. That's where we're going to have the resources. We're going to post them in our show notes on that page of the website. Uh, you can stream all our episodes there. We've got some additional information, including links to social media profiles, including Instagram, Facebook, our Twitter profiles, um, a press kit if you want to write anything about us. Um, so yeah, that's it. Additionally, I write my own movie reviews at brandontalksmovies.com and I have some of my um mental health writing at monsteronmyback.pub. So that's all I got, and we'll see you later. <laughs> <laughs>